Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So folks, we're talking, as I mentioned to you, about staying centered in this faith. That's why we have communion, keeps us centered in this faith. And I want to start this morning with a scripture that you may think comes out of the New Testament. It says, but the just shall live by faith. And you're right. You will find that scripture in the New Testament. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. And it, each time it's referenced, it's referenced from the original time it was said by Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says the following. It says, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright within him, but the just shall live by his faith. Let me ask you this. Who are the just? The just are those whom God has declared as righteous. Righteousness and justice go together. And when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, God justified us. Jesus justified us through faith and made us to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the just, therefore, Live by this faith, this believing that we are justified, that we are righteous, that God is for us, that our sins are washed away, and that he is at work in us and on our behalf. Now, now let me ask you this. By what means were you declared just? Was it by your good works because you did a whole bunch of good things and God was pleased with you? Was it perhaps because you abstained from doing a whole lot of bad things? No, as I've just said. Our just declaration, our righteousness comes not through our works, but it comes through our faith. And it should be very interesting to you folks that this is not a New Testament principle. This is an old covenant principle which found life and fulfillment in the New Testament. The Bible says of Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. His faith in God brought him into right standing with God. Isn't that incredible? And the same principle is true of us today. But what I find really interesting about Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is that it doesn't begin by saying the just shall live by his faith. It begins by saying, behold the proud. Why? Because there's a lesson we can learn from them. Because the writer here contrasts pride and faith. Folks, and I think very often we have the wrong idea of what pride is. Pride is not just me thinking I'm amazing and I'm so full of myself. Yeah, well, that's, there's, there's obviously pride in that. But if we think that's all pride is, we actually misunderstand it because pride is a very subversive thing. Let me read to you something that Charles Spurgeon wrote on the subject. If there is a sin that is universal, it is this. Where is it not to be found? Hunt among the highest and loftiest in the world and you shall find it there. Then go and search amongst the poorest and the most miserable, and you shall find it there. There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robe, and a harlot may be as proud as a model of chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its lodgings. It will live comfortably enough in a palace and will, equal, will live equally at its ease in a hovel. 
Is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? And so he paints this picture. He says, look at the proud man and realizing, folks, that every one of us has a measure of pride in us. It manifests in different ways. But pride is there. It's subversive. And here is what pride, pride is. Pride is the antithesis of faith. You'll often hear people saying the opposite of faith is fear. I don't believe so. I believe the opposite of faith is pride. You see, fear is the fruit of the realization that you do not have the means within yourself for that which confronts you. And that realization is what makes you fearful. Let me give you an example. If I had to give you a bill of 10 Rand, I don't think that would strike fear into anybody's heart. I think everybody has the means here to pay a bill of 10 Rand. That's not going to cause you to worry. But if I handed you a bill of a million Rand, well, that's a figure that could strike fear into, into most hearts because who has a million Rand lying around? And if you do have that much lying around, do you really want to spend it on a single bill? It's all about the value that you place there. But here's the thing. Your own ability to produce something or to keep the law or to pay that bill or your own inability causes fear. If you can pay something in your own strength, it doesn't cause you any fear. But that's pride. Because here's what pride is. The opposite of faith is not fear, but pride. Pride considers the value, the strength, and the ability of self. Pride looks to me to say, I can do that. I have the ability to do that. I don't need help. It is self-focused. And we all are very familiar with the ad adage in Proverbs 16, 18 that says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. The opposite of pride, however, is faith. Faith considers not myself, but the value and the strength and the ability of Christ. It sets his focus off self and puts it on Christ. It is Christ focused. It acknowledges the weakness and the inability of self and lays hold of a strength that is beyond what I can do or what I can manage. That's why Isaiah 40 says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength because their strength is not theirs. Those who wait upon the Lord shall lay hold of a strength which is beyond their own, their own ability to do, their own ability to fulfill, their own ability to walk in strength and in peace. Most of you are familiar with the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther was instrumental in the reformation of the church from a religious, very religious sect that was all about works and earning righteousness through what you did. And Martin Luther, I want to read you a transcript uh, of a moment that took place in his life. Before his declaration of the truth of the gospel, Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. And by the way, some of the things Martin Luther used to do is regularly he used to whip himself and beat himself as punishment to purge himself from his sin. As a monk, he went on a pilgrimage to Rome, and as he crossed the Alps, he felt deathly ill. As he lay sick, he felt a great turmoil, both physical and spiritual, and a verse that had previously touched him came to mind. The just will live by his faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is the verse I've just read to you. When Luther recovered, he went on to Rome and did the tourist things that all the pilgrims did. One day he came to the church of St. John's Lateran, where there is a staircase said to be from Pilate's Judgment Hall. It was the custom of pilgrims to climb the staircase, but never on their feet. They painfully climbed a step at a time on their knees, saying prayers and kissing the steps where it was thought the blood of Jesus fell. 
Luther came to this place and started doing just as all the pilgrims because the Pope promised an indulgence to all who climbed the steps on their knees and said prayers. As he did this, Luther remembered the words from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. It is said that when he remembered this, he stopped, stood up, walked down and went straight home to Germany. Some say the Reformation began on those stairs. What is a Reformation? A Reformation is a change, a revisiting of that which we think we know and interpreting it in a different way. And I believe, folks, some of us need to have a personal reformation in our thinking concerning our faith, concerning our relationship with God, concerning the greatness of his strength and concerning the powers and the promises that he's made available to us. We, the evidence of our lives tells us that we need a reformation in this area. You see, staying centered in my faith means that I remain centered on the all sufficiency of Christ, especially in the light of my depravity and my weakness and my own strength, especially in the light of my my prideful, uh, not urgings, but my prideful leanings to continually put my trust in my own strength and in my own way of thinking and in my own understanding. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of Stephen's favorite verse that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. God warns us against that about trusting in our own strength. Paul said it this way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 to 9. I'll read it to you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I even more. So Paul is saying, yeah, listen, if anybody could have, you know, if anybody walked the talk, it was me. If anybody could have earned salvation through his works, it was me. He goes on to say, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought, without fault, I once thought all of these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless with com when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. This is Paul's confession. Paul had a complete reformation. He met Jesus and it changed everything that he knew and understood about God. I want to say to you today that every promise of God is tied to our position of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And if we're not captured by this truth, we will continue to vacillate between faith and pride, hoping and believing Jesus will do something and thanking him for what he has done, but then continuing to depend on our own strength. 
which leads to fear, which leads to disappointment, which leads to a conscience that is either seared or, or undermines our faith again and again. You see, one of the primary symptoms of our pride is worry and anxiety. It's born of this fearful realization that we are not good enough. Worry, anxiety, worry and anxiety reveal a deficiency in our faith, in our deep trust in the Lord. Now, in the times we're going through, in, 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 in the uncertainty of what is ahead, of where we may be going, I want to say to you, the things you are worrying about, the things that cause you anxiety and keep you up at night, they, those things are revealing to you an area of your faith that has not come to maturity yet. See it as that. Don't be condemned by it, but realize that there is something missing here. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Staying centered in my faith means that my trust and confidence is set and established in who God is. And I keep coming back to this point. In the Old Testament, again, Jeremiah the prophet writes in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 to 8. He says, blessed is the man. Now, the word blessed means empowered to prosper. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. And will not fear when heat comes, will not fear when heat comes, but his leaf will be green. And he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. Folks, this verse does not deny the fact that there's heat on him. Heat is pressure. Hard times. You know, things that are rough in his life. It also does not acknowledge it. It also acknowledges that there's a drought. There's lack. There's need in the situation. But he says that guy whose trust is in the Lord will continue to bear fruit and his leaf will remain green despite the drought, despite the heat, despite the things that are coming at him. Why? Because he is centered in his faith and it is producing life from within him. It's drawing it up. Jesus is that river of living waters that he is planted right next to and that his roots extend deeply into. Uh, you know, Hebrews 12, verse 2, we read it earlier on again. He's, the writer says to us, look away from the natural realm, from the heat, from the drought, and fasten your gaze onto Jesus who births faith within us and leads us forward into faith's perfection. And another part of Hebrews. 10, verse 35 to 39, Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. Folks, I realize I'm giving you a lot of scriptures today, but I want to give you meat to hang on to. I want to give you a solid scriptural foundation for your faith and an encouragement that comes not just from my heart, but directly from the word of God. Hebrews 10, 35 to 39, the New Living Translation says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So the, the writer says, don't throw away your confidence. Don't try and do it all yourself. If God has said he's going to do it, trust him. Do you have that word from the Lord? Do you believe that word? Don't throw away your confidence. Patient endurance is what is needed. folks. The way our faith is proven, the only way our faith is proven and tested 
is through endurance. This is how our faith is refined. This is how the good stuff is revealed. And it's also how the bad stuff is revealed. I want to encourage you in this. Being honest before God in the area of your faith, acknowledging your fears, acknowledging your anxieties, acknowledging the things. God can handle that. But he keeps lifting you up and bringing you closer to where he is that you may overcome those things. As you journey in faith with Jesus, there are going to be things that rock you, that shake you a little bit. But it's in those moments that you learn how to stand strong on the rock, Jesus Christ, that cannot be shaken in the midst of everything else that's tumbling down and falling apart around you. So how do we practically recenter ourselves in our faith, in this confidence in God during trying times? What are some of the practical things? Well, I'm going to answer this question for you in two ways. The first way is what I do when I know God's will concerning a matter. I know God's word. He has spoken it to me. It's on my heart. Or I know his promise. I've seen it in the Bible. I am sure of God's will in this situation. That can apply to blessing, to, to uh, provision, to, to healing, to deliverance. That can apply to so many areas of life. When I know God's will and I have his word, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians for me. And I want to go through this with you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This is a scripture I have used time and time again. I've also preached on it many times, but I'm going to do it again today because this is my go-to scripture. When I need to center my faith, when I find my heart is, is worried or concerned about things, this is my go-to scripture. And I want to share it with you. Maybe I'm sure you've got your own go-to scriptures as well, but I'm the one who's preaching. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this. Be anxious for nothing be anxious for nothing in other words don't let a single thing cause you worry so what am i supposed to do he says but in everything in other words in the midst of what you're going through by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god now folks let me ask you this question what kind of prayer is it that we pray when we give thanks to God for the answer when we pray it? Can anybody tell me? Does anybody know? I can see you getting excited there, Ron, but you're still muted. It's the prayer of faith. I can read your lips. The prayer of faith. It's the prayer of faith. It's the prayer that lays hold of what God has already said and what God has already promised. And then it goes on to say, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. Why does it surpass understanding? Well, first of all, because it's so great. It is so huge that it, you are so at peace. You don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But also in the midst of what you're going through, you should not be at peace. In the midst of what you're facing, you, you have every reason to be anxious. But yet you're at peace. It doesn't make sense. But it says that peace will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and mind from what? From the very anxiety you had in the first place. <laughs> this is such a powerful portion of scripture. And here's what, what, I, what I've learned to do. I say, Lord, this is my situation. I, this is, I, you tell me not to worry about it. So I lift it to you. This is my prayer. This is my supplication. 
And because I know this is your will, I give you thanks for the answer. I receive it and I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And I receive it. And I walk in the full assurance and the security that God has heard my prayer and that he is working to answer that prayer, that my prayer is already answered and the manifestation is on its way. It's real to me. It's personal. It's alive. It's powerful. Why? Because it then sets my heart at ease. I can then say that problem is now with him. It's not mine to bear anymore. And he gives me the peace to know. And here's what's going to happen along the way. That worry or another symptom or another something is going to come back at me. And all I'm going to say is, Father, I see this thing, but I want to thank you for the answer. I thank you that this is already overcome. I thank you that I already have what I need. And I bring myself back to that prayer of thanksgiving, which assures me of the answer, which assures me of the promise. God's already spoken it to my heart. I have it. It's mine. And the evidence is that I am truly at peace in my heart. And when things come up again, I just do that same thing over and over again. God, I thank you that this is meant. I thank you that this is already a done deal. And I walk in the faith and the fullness. Don't think that that will be an easy journey all the time. Don't think that challenges will not come to test you in that. But as I've said to you, when they do, you repeat, you repeat, you repeat that thanksgiving. You repeat because you know that this is God's will. There's no two ways about it. It's a done thing. So that's the first way that I continually recenter myself in my faith and in my trust in God, in my difficult situation, so that I am not anxious. When I, when I sense anxiety or fear in my heart, I have to do something with it. And that's the first thing that I do. But now what about when I don't know God's will concerning a matter? How do I pray a prayer of faith when I'm not sure, God, which direction do you want me to go in here? How do you want me to handle the situation? Well, In those moments when I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say, I look back. I look back at God's faithfulness to me in the past. I look back and I remember how many times God came through for me and provided my needs when I needed help. I look back and look, remember how many times at just the right moment God provided for me the wisdom that I needed to make the right decision at the right time. I look back and see how God moved and ministered to me or through me healing or, or wisdom or a word of encouragement that I needed. And I begin to, through that, center myself in God's faithfulness. If I can't center myself in faith, in, in, in a revelation that I have of the word of God, I center myself in God's faithfulness. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. You turn to the spirit of God within you. The second thing you do, and you ask him to show you the way. So God, I don't know what to do here, but I know that you are good and that you love me. I know that you are worthy of all my trust, that my life is in your hands. And I, I encourage myself in my ignorance of what to do. I am assured of God's love. I am assured that his spirit is with me. And this is what Romans 8 verses 26 to 28 says. I'm reading from the message. Romans 8, 26 to 28 from the Message Bible. I'll wait for you to turn there. Romans 8, 26 to 28. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired of waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. 
He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail of our lives of love for God is worked into something good. There's this assurance that is there. Just go back a few verses, also in Romans chapter 8, from verse 14. This is from the New King James now. Paul writes, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. It's that spirit of complete trust and dependence. And that's what I'm talking to you about. Sometimes being centered in your faith is knowing that you don't have an answer, that you don't know what to do, that you don't have the power, the resources. You don't have what it takes, but daddy does. And you're in daddy's hands. Abba. It's utter dependence and utter reliance, as well as utter, wrapped in, cushioned and cocooned in utter love and complete acceptance. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So when I know what the word of God is and the will of God is in a situation, I pray that into existence and I thank God for the answer. I receive it and I walk in it. When I don't know the answer, when I don't know what to do, I secure myself in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in me, in times past and in my relationship and status as a son or a child of the most high God. In both of those situations, fear has to flee. If I embrace anxiety in my heart whilst, whilst coddling up to my father's chest as, as a son, trusting him, it says that I'm not truly trusting him. It's an indication that my trust still lies in my ability to produce the answer in this situation. But complete trust is found in that complete love I have from him, which casts out all fear. And then, folks, I want to say to you, finally, once you have committed your situation, your fear, your anxiety to God, leave it with God. Leave it with God. Don't take it back. Trust in what he has spoken to you. That's faith. That's what faith looks like. You know, sometimes we, we, we get this idea that faith is this grandiose thing that we have to lay hold of. And faith is trusting that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he will do. Psalm 55 verse 22 says this. So here's what I've learned through it all. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. Measureless grace will strengthen you. Matthew 11, 28 to 30 from the message says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll rediscover and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced forced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely 
and lightly. And finally, the scripture that Nicole read while she was ministering communion this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, the second part of verse 18 from the Passion Translation. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. Isn't that incredible? Now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. What a powerful and a beautiful scripture. What a powerful and a beautiful realization. Folks, as believers, we should be the most established, stable, joyful people in the world. We should not be anxious or worried or concerned about all the things that are going on around us. These are all symptoms of pride. That God's not going to take care of it, therefore I need to. And the fear comes in when I realize I don't know how to and I can't do it. When I get over that and I realize that my heart is caught up in God, it's caught up in Jesus, that his faithfulness endures from everlasting to everlasting, and that his word is true and powerful today as it was the day that he spoke it, I begin to encourage myself in the Lord. I begin to take and receive strength directly from the Lord. Why? Because his words are life. They contain life and grace and power within them. So I want to encourage you, looking ahead, going forward, identify those areas of your heart where anxiety is sitting, where worry or fear has, has, has maybe gripped hold of you and you don't know how things are going to go or what you're going to do. Take those times to entrust those things to the Lord where you know his will. Claim it, pray it over the situation and thank God for its effectual working in the situation. Give God thanks in faith, believing that he is at work because he is. And when you don't know the will of God, entrust your future to him anyways. Entrust your plans to him anyways, because he loves you and he cares for you dearly. You are his child and he is your father. And he will not allow anybody to take you out of your hand. God is for you. And so, folks, as I close out from what I have to share today, I want to pray for you that your faith would be strengthened, that it would be established, and that you would, by the grace of God and the leading of his spirit, stay centered in faith, not allowing your heart to vacillate in and out through doubt, through fear, and even through pride. Let's bow our heads together. My Father God, I want to thank you today for the eternal faithfulness of your love. I thank you and I'm so grateful, Lord, that your word is true forever and a day. That your word is powerful because you are the one who spoke it. Father, I want to thank you that you have adopted us into your family. That the very kingdom of God lives within us. That the name of Jesus is ours to use the authority and, and the power of your blood, Lord Jesus, which has cleansed us is ours to proclaim and to use, not because we are anything special, but because, Jesus, you have given these things to us as your kingdom citizens. Father, I want to thank you for a faith that comes from you. It is a gift from you that we can believe you to receive 
righteousness, justification, and everlasting life. I want to thank you, but that by that same gift of faith, we lay hold of every single promise that you have made to us, and our hearts remain established in the faithfulness of who you are. I thank you today for your love for each one of the people who are part of our spiritual family, but for each one of your children throughout the world. I thank you for your grace, which is more than sufficient for every need that we may have. I thank you that you watch over us, that you intercede for us, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you, Lord, that truly in Christ, we have nothing to fear. I thank you, Lord, for the all sufficiency of your grace and your goodness. And that you are teaching us, Lord God, how to walk out, walk with you and work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Fear not of what could happen. Fear not in the world around us, but the awe that comes from knowing who you are. Thank you that you are our God. Thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. Thank you that you've given us your spirit as the seal of our sonship and the guide and the compass of our hearts. So I commit this word to you, Father, and I want to pray that as everyone goes into this week, that as you speak and to their hearts and as you highlight, Lord God, areas that need attention, God, that your grace would abound. Bring us into greater faith, Lord God. Increase and strengthen our faith as we look to you, Father God, that we may be secured and centered and stable and strong, founded on the truth of the rock of Jesus Christ, so that nothing around us may shake us. I pray and thank you for this reality in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.